1: I'm Janice Baker, registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator sitting in for Dr. Steven Edelman. Physical therapy can help patients with diabetes lose weight, decrease blood pressure, and regulate blood glucose. What do physicians treating patients with diabetes need to know about the benefits of working with a physical therapist? Joining us to discuss the benefits of physical therapy for patients with diabetes is physical therapist in San Diego, California, Mr. Jim Flood. Mr. Flood, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Janice. So, Jim, how can a physical therapist help a patient with diabetes?
2: Well, within the medical model that we have set up currently in the United States, physical therapists are kind of designated as the exercise experts. And so it's our job to evaluate each individual patient and determine what exercise is appropriate. And that goes for all patients of all diagnoses. But with diabetes in particular it's it's a critical component to management of the diabetes for the patient, and what my job is as a therapist is to determine what factors can make exercise challenging for that patient and try and implement a program that is doable for them and get a program that's going to help them with the diabetic management um, for example, like many diabetes sufferers will have peripheral neuropathy, which can alter the sensation in their legs. And it's my job to help figure out how we can incorporate a program that may take into account their loss of balance or the lack of sensation.
1: So how do you help patients develop a realistic exercise plan that they can continue at home or post-surgery?
2: That's a good question. I, I think the key is to listen to your patients and identify what their willingness is with their time commitment. You know, as a therapist, you have to be realistic, and you you need to see that patient get the most out of the exercise that they're planning on. So, if they're only going to give you 15 minutes a day, you have to to pick an exercise that's going to be targeted for that 15 minutes. And so, our number one priority would be that cardiovascular exercise, mm-hmm. aerobic activity, with the diabetic patient.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what do you look for when assessing a patient's exercise needs?
2: Typically, with the diabetic population, we target a three key areas. Mm -hmm. first being the aerobic activity. So any um, exercise that elevates the heart rate. And that's important because it's the most helpful with your management of your glucose metabolism. So also with diabetes, uh, those patients are susceptible to heart disease and they need an aerobic system that supports improved cardiovascular function. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondarily, we need a strength program. And it's well documented in the research that diabetics are more prone to muscle wasting, especially in men. And and it's important for us to get a program that targets some lean muscle mass
1: development. Mm -hmm. We could all use more of that. So what are diabetic-specific issues that you see with physical functioning?
2: Well, specific to diabetes, the biggest complication I see is the peripheral neuropathy. Mm. Patients, it's so common for them to have numbness and tingling and even pain below the knees especially. And That impairs their ability to ambulate safely and the actual uh, sense of that joint's position in space, what we call proprioception as physical therapists. And so we have to make sure that that exercise plan is mindful of whatever limitations they might have for that. Um, The other thing is, reality is with a lot of these patients that are type 2 diabetics and diagnosed later in life is they haven't been very active. Mm -hmm. So they have not exercised in their lifetime, and that is one of the contributing factors to the development of the diabetes. So you just can't try to do too much at once. You know, starting them on a walking program may be a major endeavor, and you just need to make sure you set them up to be successful.
1: What about the age of the patient? How do you take that into account when you're prescribing uh, exercise and physical therapy type of treatment?
2: Well, I think, you know, First off, exercise can be appropriate for any age. Mm-hmm. It's just figuring out the right exercise prescription, where you're identifying what is that patient's specific needs, and what we, what can we do to set up a program that they can be successful with. Okay. I mean, it, but for example, at my club, i have I have over 400 members of my fitness facility, and the youngest member is 11 and the oldest member is 96. So there's all kinds of ages of exercise plans that can be appropriate and even with the diabetes diagnosis you can treat them of all ages, you just have to find that exercise that's right for them.
1: Well, that's great information, Jim. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on Reach MD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Janice Spaker, and I'm speaking with Jim Flood. We are discussing the benefits of physical therapy for patients with diabetes. So, Jim, what is the role of balance in patients with diabetes?
2: So what we were talking about before with the diabetic patient and, and the is the complication of peripheral neuropathy. So with the lack of sensation in the feet especially, those patients tend to have a less stability on their feet because they don't get good sensory input from the ground so as a physical therapist we have to incorporate that into their program so often we will be using their other systems to help support their balance so if we get stronger leg muscles that's going to help them with their balance if we improve their balance reactions in static positions where they're standing in one place that gets their body used to doing that even though they don't have as much sensation and then we finally will include some dynamic balance activities, which are balance things when the person is moving. So we might be having them do some uh, higher level walking sideways or what we call braided walking where they would put one foot in front of the other and then behind the other and practice those things on even surfaces and then on uneven surfaces so that they get used to doing those in a compensation pattern, even though they don't have as much sensation.
1: More and more research is showing that people with diabetes have a higher risk of osteoporosis as well. So this is a critical issue in those with diabetes. So Jim, can you briefly discuss the role of shoes and footwear for your patients?
2: Sure. I think that you know, when, when I'm setting up a p- exercise plan, typically since our first goal is that aerobic activity, some cardiovascular exercise, and we're going to get our most bang for our buck with that type of activity with the diabetic patient and their management of their diabetes. So, the first real purchase for them from, from my standpoint is their footwear, and that becomes their exercise equipment. And, because of the lack of sensation and the circulatory issues that a diabetic patient can have in their feet, the fit of that footwear is really important. So I tend to recommend a motion control shoe with the diabetics, and, and I tend to recommend a running shoe versus a walking shoe. and. The reason for that is that the running shoes have better features. You know, they're meant for running, running, which is a higher demand activity. And when you run, you need more motion control. So those shoes are better with their features than the walking shoe. They might have um, some features like a straighter last to the shoe, where there's a little more stability. If you make a footprint with that shoe, it's going to be real flat on the inside of the shoe. And they'll have a real nice arch support. And then a structure called a heel counter, which is a plastic piece that you can visualize from the outside of the shoe that will actually kind of grab the heel and keep the foot from moving so much in the shoe. And, of course, if there's less movement in the shoe, then you're going to get less blistering, less chance for um, motion up higher in the knee and the hip where you might get some arthritic changes and those kind of things that can keep you from being able to exercise. The other thing I think that's important with the shoe is the toe box. Um, typically, that's where the sensation is the, is the most efficient for the diabetic. And if they have more room in, in a deeper and wider toe box, then you're less likely to get that um, friction and the blistering that may become a problem with healing later on.
1: You know, and the role of shoes is so important, not just with exercise, but all day long. The m- the better your shoes feel, the more you want to be up and about. Right. So it all works together. So um, another question, Jim, how do you work with patients who have significant mobility issues? Uh, You know, those who may be wheelchair-bound, who have knee pain, again, the peripheral neuropathy. You know, there's just typically a mobility issue in many, many people with diabetes, and that really discourages them. So how do you work with that?
2: I think that that's really the physical therapist's job is to figure out what can that patient do that's going to help them, you know? And it's common for us to have somebody who's not ambulatory Mm -hmm. or or not able to do enough on their feet to make it a good exercise for Mm -hmm. them. You know, I might put that patient who's wheelchair-bound on an upright bike and what we call an upright ergometer, which will use their arms to work their heart rather than the legs because that's what they have that's capable of aerobic exercise. Or I might have that person that has severe arthritic changes in their knees go into the pool to get their aerobic activity. And that way, they're not getting the impact from the weight bearing on their joints, but they can still get their heart rate up.
1: You know, and this helps them feel like they can actually do something, too. So it gives them more confidence in their ability to exercise once they're shown that they can do something. So I think it's just as much emotional, psychological as physical, which is great. And, um, you know, another very important question, of course, that we have to consider is, what do primary care physicians need to know in order to refer their patients with diabetes to a physical therapist?
2: This is a really important question for me, just as a practicing physical therapist because I think there's a lot of um, primary care physicians who have, you know, they have a lot on their plate in terms of getting that patient managed with their diabetes and they may not think about physical therapy for that patient. It's not an automatic referral for them. And I think that's where we need to take advantage of our medical model and the system we have. If if a doctor refers that patient into physical therapy The diagnosis of diabetes doesn't fly with a lot of insurance carriers. You have to have a medical complication of diabetes with some other musculoskeletal problem. But the honest truth is most diabetics have those other issues. They either have joint pain or back pain or knee pain, or they might have uh, fall risk or balance-related issues related to their neuropathy, and those kind of things are covered under the physical therapy benefit. So with the right coding diagnostically and the right ICD-9 codes by the primary care physician, the physical therapist can, can then set up the exercise plan that the doctor wants and monitor it and progress it so that the patient's then getting the most out of the exercise. And I think it's a huge support for the physician in their management of the diabetes because they don't have to be the one responsible for the exercise program setup. up. They can just set the parameters, and then we can ensure the patient is successful by helping them individualize that program.
1: I think that's fantastic information. I would like to thank our guest, physical therapist in San Diego, California, Mr. Jim Flood. Jim, thank you so much for spending time with us on Diabetes Discourse.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP1, visit Novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at ReachMD.com. Daddy, what are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Uh, Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full.
2: Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important?
0: Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like grandpa? Yes, and like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I wanna make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. <laughs> yes, I guess in a way it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com DIA.